Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Berlay. Coming up on today's programme, my guest today, Emily Isahawa and also Juliet Lindley. They're both here. It is the morning after the night before. It's the morning of the morning. Uh, of course, after Eurovision, um, condolences, Emily. Finland, what happened? A crazy party happened, but unfortunately, uh, Sweden took the win. Uh, but of course, uh, we can touch our, our way into that conversation later today. I'm sure we'll have some clips to play. Juliet, this is, I think, your, your first Eurovision, which is kind of remarkable. It's so remarkable that it was my first, but I'm a convert now. I've snubbed it all these years, but here I am, loving every bit of it, but was so disappointed by how poorly May of the UK did. Yeah, well, maybe not surprising as no. well. And we might have a view on that because we'll be going to London to talk to our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck. We'll also... Uh, be speaking to our very own Eurovision correspondent producer. He's in Liverpool, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We have a winner! Sweden! You have won the Eurovision Song Contest 2023! There you go. I don't know why actually Fernando's not even in that clip. Doesn't matter. Also, we'll be going to uh, Hannah Lucinda Smith for the latest on the elections in Turkey. It's the 14th of May, 2023, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monaco on Sunday with Tyler Brulé. Good morning from a, a very buzzy, uh, rather excitable radio table here in Zurich at uh, Dufostrasse 90. I'm here with Juliet Lindley this morning. Uh, also, Emily Isahau is also here. Uh, one of our resident Finns uh, will be talking and deconstructing what happened uh, with Eurovision last night. I should also say, uh, you probably heard it in, in the news headlines at the top of this as well, of course, it's election day in Turkey. We'll be going to Istanbul. We'll also be uh, heading to Thailand as well, where, of course, uh, the Thais are heading to the polls be talking to our correspondent there, Gwen Robinson, as well. But those are polls uh, which are in motion, but the votes uh, are in from last night. Uh, Emily, uh, of course, uh, it was it was really sort of a, a bit of an edge of uh, edge of the seat moment uh, for many, many minutes uh, last night, as we saw the flag of Finland, the flag of Sweden. There they were, the popular, certainly the 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 jury vote, uh, very much in favour of of Sweden. And then, of course, we saw. This extraordinary surge, the the people, the people spoke around the world uh, in favor of Finland, but they didn't quite get there. That's right. And I mean, we are speaking from Zurich, so I should say direct democracy should have prevailed and, and Finland should be the reigning champion now. But um, no, absolutely. I mean, it was a great show. Um, Sweden won, I, I think, uh, unexpectedly um, and or expectedly, and it was uh, deserved. But at the same time, I did feel sorry for Katia. You could hear the crowd in the audience shouting his name. He did apologize to the Finnish media after the show. He promised a victory. He couldn't deliver. But at the same time, um, it's the second best result for Finland ever. It's the first time a Finnish song in Finnish made it so far. I think the previous record was seventh uh, in the 70s. Um, so it was still a good performance. And I think we can I hear cha 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 for many years to come. I was going to say also helped uh, by a sort of a somewhat easy chorus uh, as well. <laughs> exactly. You know, all, all of the finish aside, uh, Juliet, as we were saying, this was your your first Eurovision. Still remarkable. I'm not sure how uh, all of the you know as, as a broadcaster as well and as as a very international broadcaster. Not 
we're not sure why uh, the European Broadcasting I Union. I know, I know. That? Anyway, it was a, it was a house of you had the kids in front of the TV last night. Yeah, they were. My, what, what were they voting for? Or well, did, my son voted they sort for of, did they check out? There they you did. go. Emily's very pleased to hear that. And and his bestie Edwin from Sweden, of course, was so happy that Laureen won with tattoo. I have to say that I was kind of making all these comparisons. I was trying to analyze it, and like Mr. Karia sounds so much like Sai in his Gangnam style. And I don't know, is that an insult to make that comparison, Emily? But so many similarities, no? Not at all. I think he doesn't take himself seriously. Um, you can take his song as a party song about drinking pina coladas kind of getting out of your shell uh, by having a few drinks or you can take it more seriously that's what the Finnish media have done that it's actually a commentary on this drinking culture and actually you don't need that in order to come out of your shell so he's just kind of asking everyone to be themselves and, and enjoy their life but he's not taking himself too seriously as is kind of clear in his neon green bolero jacket that he wears. And his not so um, hard abs as opposed to Laureen's abs. So, and, and I love that. And his bright green nails as opposed to all these like, long That was like ne- negative everywhere. body fat on Laureen, wasn't it? Negative, yeah. <laughs> Concave. <laughs> no, and the thing with Laureen is actually, I mean, a great performance. She sang absolutely uh, beautifully and while doing all this choreography. Uh, but, you know, Euphoria still for me uh, was a better performance, a better song from her. So had this been her first performance in Eurovisions, I would have been 100% in favor of Laureen. But I think we got like 80% of what we got in 2012 uh, in terms of Euphoria from Laureen. Okay, well, speaking of good abs, why don't we go to London and talk to our <laughs> editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, uh, who is uh, standing by this morning. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. I think Laureen's abs were, were probably one of the highlights of that show. They, uh, they certainly got lots of comments in this household. Uh, Andrew, uh, your uh, thoughts on on Eurovision and maybe not just performances uh, aside, but what this meant. Of course, uh, UK came second last year. Uh, They became uh, the the host nation, of course, standing in uh, for for Ukraine. Uh, But I would say compared to other years, the amount of buildup, of course, BBC was uh, was the host broadcaster uh, as well, part of the European Broadcasting Union, which I think is also interesting as well, because it's it's sort of fascinating to see you know, that the European Broadcasting Union is quite an array with some, I would say, rather flexible geography uh, around it in terms of who are members. But it, it also reminds you that this is one of the, the major European institutions that uh, the UK is still part of. And thank goodness we are, because otherwise it would be a bit of a, a sad night. But um, I think that Liverpool did a good job at hosting uh, Ukraine and putting on a show that kind of did its best to underline everything that was happening in Ukraine without making it overly political at every twist and turn. So the way that everyone wore the colours of Ukraine, the the lighting, the, the, the setup at the beginning, I, I thought it was actually pretty well done. And I think the staging was pretty impeccable as well. So the, the, the use of the screens w- was amazing. So I, th- I think it, 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 for Liverpool, it was actually a good moment to say, look, we're, we are the hosts for Ukraine, but we will we will share the limelight a little bit as well <laughs> along the way. Andrew, who, who were you rooting for uh, last night? Disappointed, uh, maybe not disappointed to see, to see Sweden didn't get through. Uh, of course, we are almost more of a house of Finns in our company than we are a house of Swedes. Uh, so uh, how, how are you feeling uh, when the final tally came through? Well, I'm going to be a bit of an outlier because actually I, I, I liked Italy. 
I, I, I liked um, um, Mario Mengoni, Marco Mengoni, rather, Marco, Marco, Marco Mengoni. And I also, I liked Mahmoud, who, when he sang Imagine as well. So uh, I thought Italy had a, a good showing. And I don't know, I like a sparkly top. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, okay, Julia, we have to bring you in on this, of course, as uh, one of our uh, Italian, uh, well, Italian commentators, at least on the side. Anyway, did what did you think of, of Marco? No, I wasn't so impressed. I mean, I liked his sort of leather pants look, but the, um, no, his song, <laughs> we were commenting with other Italians. They all, oh, sorry, I hit the microphone. They all just sound the same somehow. All these Italian, like, ballady love songs. So I was really happy that it went in a completely different direction. I was surprised he actually came forth. Andrew, no, I, I, I wasn't. I, I was. I, I, I wouldn't have put all my money on it, but I knew he. I knew he would do well. I think the Italians, they, the Italians do well. You do well with foreigners, yeah. Yeah, Emily, what did, what did, what did you think? Also good to look at as well. Absolutely, yeah. uh, and this counts maybe, for something. Exactly. No, and, and, and you get both uh, with that. Maybe with a costume change that would have helped, or kind of losing things. But um, uh, no, Italy. I think a solid performance, a good song. Um, I don't think it needed to win and it didn't so I'm, I'm i'm happy with that but actually i agree with andrew's comment that i think mahmoud did really well in this medley that they think uh, did and it was a nice tradition perhaps we'll see something like that in the future when they bring former performers to sing songs from that location where it's hosted um so it was a nice touch i have to say okay gear change andrew we know that and, and, and juliet a few minutes ago brought up uh, yeah, of course, Sai Gangnam Style, comparing it to uh, Cha 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 as, as well, which I think is an interesting observation because we have seen, of course, foreign ministries, governments throwing billions at pop music, uh, of course, the whole soft power play as well. Do you think some European countries take this more seriously than others? And, and I'm, I'm looking maybe towards uh, Berlin and, and of course, the, the various television headquarters of the public broadcasters uh, as well. You, you sort of scratch your head thinking, how can Europe's biggest economy, uh, a nation which is uh, also a powerhouse when it comes to media in so many ways, continue to get close to null point, or at least they're always at the bottom of the league table anyway. It's rather remarkable. So, um, you know, so let's say, Andrew, Berlin uh, versus uh, other European countries, you say, look, we're going to make sure that we've got the best possible act because this is it's part of our soft, not even just soft power, it's almost hard power in many ways as well. Well, it's strange because I think, you know, Tyler, we've done lots of stories in the past about you know, great German singers and pop bands. And I think because many of them do sing in German, it makes it a little bit more difficult to export some of the music. And you saw last night that actually everyone, apart from a few, a few outliers, was, was choosing to sing in English because that's the, that's the way to export your, your music. But when you go to K-pop, suddenly you have this, you know, this, this spectacle of dance and... Uh, very, very catchy music where you can actually get away with singing in your national language. So I think that's the, that's the tricky thing, that while Germany has so much musical talent, it, unless it wants to kind of switch over and be like singing English, then it's going to be a, a, a trickier kind of export story. And it's just, it's just a, a bigger country and more federal to kind of organise at that level where the music from you know, Bavaria and the Munich music from Hamburg are, are such different exports. Now, I don't want you to speak on behalf of the UK, but uh, and we'll be talking, of course, to our culture editor, uh, Chiara Ramella, shortly. Also, we'll be going to Liverpool uh, to speak to our Fernando Augusto Pacheco, uh, who is up there um, as well. But you know, we had, uh, of course, 
a good moment last year. UK came number two, uh, which was remarkable after you know quite a bad run over a series of years. And then it, we fall back to the bottom, and you and you could see that everyone was, and, and of course the BBC, the host country, sort of really, of course, you know, pumping up uh, the UK act. But she she didn't do very well. No, it's one of those songs actually because you hear it on the when you hear it on the radio and you hear it in the gym. It actually it it sounds pretty good, but poor May Muller didn't kind of hit with the crowd. I just think that you know the the show part of it is half of the the battle. And I think the other funny thing is you know that when people are talking about who's going to be you know the top, who's going to be the winner, is that they they forget that lots of these songs already have lives. They're in the charts. They're being played on radio stations. So I think something like Lorene, probably just a lot of people knew that song already before she came on stage. Whereas May Muller, I don't know whether she'd managed to kind of get much of a, a, a kind of a chart hit outside the UK. So again, it's, it's whether it's being played on the radio in your, in your nation, I think it helps a little bit as well. Andrew, the minutes before we went on air, uh, we, we did manage to, of course, dissect uh, the May Muller performance uh, as well. Uh, Emily, your observations uh, on... Um, I, I think Andrew um, kind of uh, put it rightly. I think the performance didn't come together. And I actually think structurally what plays a key role in this is the national qualifiers. And Sweden, I think it's no surprise that Sweden does year... Uh, year on year extremely well because they have an extremely competitive selection process the melody festival and that goes on for several weeks and you have to put on a great stage show on top of having a good song so it's a very competitive process and artists uh, join the competition not just to make it to your visions but to get a boost for their career domestically um, Finland has tried to mimic that and replicate what they do with the melody festival in in Sweden but it's hard to do that and come up with a new competition that is not looked down upon by the public as something completely uncool. And Finland has managed to do that in the past few years, that UAMCO, which is the national qualifiers, has become a cool thing where big artists come to again get a boost in their career. So I think if you have a selection process that in a way forces the artists to already put on a good show, then you will see which uh, shows and songs work on stage and which ones don't. And, and with, in May's case, I think it's a good song. It's on my gym playlist, uh, but not necessarily an absolutely kind of a unforgettable stage show. Before we head up to uh, Liverpool in a moment, I just want to ask all of you, Andrew, I'll start with you. Uh, how much does education, I'm just, this is just sort of a, a thought when I was looking at the rankings uh, as well, how much does education and curriculum play into all of this? Because you see that countries which are, are known for music, uh, and, and it is interesting, Sweden does well, Finland does well, like the Nordics seem to do uh, incredibly well out of this. Is that part of it or, or do you just chalk it up to uh, long winters and people have nothing to do but to uh, practice songs in the basement? Well, I think you, you heard there, I think this, the, the seriousness of which they, they, they take the, the heats going into it. I was at an event this week and moderating a panel and I had um, Bjorn Ulves, obviously from ABBA fame, on the panel. And uh, he was asked uh, what he, advice he would give to young people trying to achieve what ABBA did uh, 50 years ago in the next year with uh, Waterloo. And he said, I don't have much advice, but I would suggest you write some better songs. So I think poor old <laughs> May Muller may have to take that to heart. Uh, Emily, tell me just uh, again, uh, national curriculum as a Finn, uh, do you think that this plays into it versus other countries? I mean, we can also we can look at Switzerland here. You know, I know a lot of parents struggle you know, if they've got musical or, 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 or 
you know, kids who don't want to go uh, into engineering uh, or law school, uh, you know, have a tough time actually finding, you know, the fame academy in this country. Um, is, is that part of it? Even though Ray Mofor, he didn't do a bad job last night. Exactly. Um, no, partly, I, I'm sure he plays a role, of course, investment in culture, giving children opportunities to uh, play different instruments, having music as part of your national curriculum absolutely it's a big topic in finland at the moment as we're going uh, through government coalition negotiations so absolutely and perhaps cheekily uh, a fun fact from yesterday uh, related to how Finns perhaps been educated to be strategic voters the finnish jury did give sweden 12 points the finnish public gave zero points to sweden because they knew sweden was the biggest competition so they voted very strategically Yeah, we like that, those strategic fins. Uh, also, uh, we should say Happy Mother's Day to, uh, to Juliet Lindley uh, so uh, as much. well, also as the mom's, as the mom's correspondent around the table as well. That's not a good title. Does, does, Emma, Happy Mother's Day happy to Mother's, in London. Yes, Happy Mother's Day in London as well, Emma. Um, but, but just, but education, Education, yes, yes, I'd love to see like fame academies here in Switzerland. Right. So forget Blaue Lichttage, which is what yeah, you Yeah, we have to talk about Blaue Lichttage a little bit later. How about promoting more of the pop scene? I think so. Actually, at Blaue Lichtag, did you see there was a band as well? There's a, I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a fireman's band as well. Andrew, you missed Blue Light Day yesterday. Ne- next year, next year, you can book your weekend out. And honk, honk, well, I was reading order. about it. You can read about it in your column today. So I was you, you reading can, this morning. A- absolutely. Uh, you can sit in a fireman's lap if you want. How's that? I'm coming. Very good. Uh, talk, we have to leave it there. We're going away for a very short break. When we come back, we'll be heading up to Liverpool to talk to our Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Portugal has plenty more to offer visitors than sun, sea and sand. With its vibrant cities, rolling vineyards, an incredible history of design and a resourcefulness that always amazes. It's a fun place to eat. I mean, like, you just don't stop. It's sunny and it's warm and everything's outside. Like, it's great. Portugal, the Monocle Handbook, is the first in a brand new series revealing our favorite places to eat, stay and shop from Lisbon to the Azores. Should you wish to stay a little longer, it will also help you find a neighborhood that could become your new base and introduce you to the people who have already put down roots. Head to monocle.com to find out more and prepare to see this fascinating nation afresh. Ten twenty-two here in Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Having a bit of a mop up the day after uh, Eurovision. Very happy to say that we're heading to Liverpool right now. Our Fernando Augusto Pacheco is there. Also, our culture editor uh, Chiara Rimella is also on standby uh, for maybe the final. These are not the final words on Eurovision, surely not. Maybe uh, for this program, but I doubt it as well. Anyway, Fernando, Chiara, good morning. Good morning, a very good Liverpool, Tyler. <laughs> Uh, Fernando, uh, maybe tell us, uh, what, what does Liverpool look like uh, this morning? Uh, the, the, really, as we were saying, the, the morning after the, the evening before. But of course, this, this extended well into, uh, in, into Sunday morning, at least in most time zones. First of all, Tyler, I have to say I'm super impressed with Liverpool as a host city. Uh, it's only my second time here after 15 years in the UK. I mean, but they, I mean, they, they really know how to party. I mean, the, the whole city transpired like Eurovision. I went to even the local supermarket. They had Eurovision flags, a DJ playing the supermarket. That doesn't happen every single city I've been for my eight Eurovisions. So in the sense of fun, I mean, I think Eurovision delivered. 
Uh, and I think, I mean, even the show last night, I mean, it, it was it was quite a vintage uh, Eurovision, I have to say, quite nail-biting at the end, because I still had mild hopes that Finland would take the crown, but, you know, it didn't happen, but I think Lorraine deserved. I mean, she, her performance was uh, incredible. I mean, there was almost, we were talking about before we went on air, it almost felt there was a sense of nervousness, nervousness that uh, there could almost have been an insurrection because you really had a crowd who was very pumped up. You could tell that they wanted Finland to win. Um, and we, you're watching, uh, of course, one of the, 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 the BBC presenters' faces, Graham Norton. <laughs> there was, there was mm -hmm. a moment he thought, like, this could actually all go really wrong up here uh, as well. Well, I, f I felt at some point there would be a riot because everyone in the audience was shouting, cha, 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 you know, it was really, really loud. Uh, at some point I was like, guys, come down. I think they have a live show <laughs> to deliver. Uh, and even after the show, when I was walking the streets, you know, people was shouting Finland, there were cars with their kind of uh, windows open playing the Finnish song. So I think, I mean, it was definitely the public favorite, but I think we shouldn't underestimate Lorraine as well because she also got uh, votes from, from the public. I mean, if I think the difference was just around, you know, 50 points or something like that, which is quite, which is not a lot. Uh, so, yeah, I, I generally thought there would be a riot almost. Chiara, of course, Eurovision has always been important, at least to, to one constituency or a couple of constituencies in the UK. But as, as Fernando was saying, you know, Liverpool puts on a great job. BBC does a great job. Um, and you really felt that this, you know, it, it infected the nation in an incredible way. Do you think this also maybe changes things as Emily was saying a little bit earlier do, do you think we'll see you know a, a, let's say the rise of a proper qualifying program that might start in January next year to really get a, a candidate uh, to to get a contender who the whole nation can stand behind rather than someone who sort of just randomly pops up I really think that this can change things for the UK. I mean, the public has been watching for a long time, but somehow the rest of Europe has never really taken the UK seriously, uh, or at least it's always had a bit of a resentment, almost. Um, I think that last uh, last night's show, but particularly the semi-finals, I have to say, because with the semi-finals, you get a bit more time to get to know the host nation. There's a bit more time for the little skits and the background. And so watching the semi-finals with the little kids going, the Liverpudlian kids going to, to the Eurovision Stadium, but also um, the, the, the great sketches that were done during the week, then I think that you can soften the image of the UK abroad and people can get to see its real enthusiasm for Eurovision, which I don't think was really perceptible just from the acts that they've sent before. I mean, Sam Ryder did an amazing job, I think, in just making people understand that the UK was up for it and they got it. Um, I think it's now time to continue in that vein and make sure that they're up for the party also on screen. Fernando, you were referencing, of course, even the feeling uh, in, in a grocery store. Uh, if, we, if we step back from, let's say, the pure pop power that something like this has, what about just in terms of the economic boost it gives to a city in a country? Is, is it palpable? Because, of course, in one side you think, well, yes, the BBC has to budget for this. But I, I can imagine the, just the sheer amount of room nights, uh, what this means for, of course, the, the catering and hospitality industry in a city. If you're, if you're, it's not the Olympics, but as a, as a host city for a number of weeks, uh, you know, if, if you were a mayor, would you want Eurovision coming to your city? Oh, God, yes. I mean, I went to Eurovillage, which is, I have to say, Tyler, I'm impressed by Liverpool as well. I didn't know much about the city, but, you know, the waterfront was fantastic. Uh, and in fact, even the MS Arena, where Eurovision took place, 
there was a part outside where you could actually have a little break and look at the river. That was the first time this happened uh, for my AT revisions. And as I said, the Euro Village, which attract, which is free, and you know, the lot of food stands and a lot of artists performing. I think it started two weeks ago. So it's not just on the day of Eurovision. I think this is something that basically is happening uh, the whole month. So, and one thing I'm impressed about Liverpool, we talk a lot about Monaco, about 24 hour cities. I don't think London does such a great job in that topic, but it's interesting because Liverpool is much smaller. There are quite a lot of food offerings. Uh, even when people left Eurovision, which was past midnight, uh, you know, there were fast food, there were little restaurants, a lot of bars open. It felt quite lively. And I think that's very important in the city as well. So, yeah, if I were mayor, definitely I want to host Eurovision in my city. Now, I don't want to set up a cat fight, but uh, Chiara, you might have caught uh, Juliet's comments a little bit earlier that she was saying that, uh, you know, most Italian songs all sound the same. But uh, of course, uh, as our uh, resident uh, Italian, also Piemontese uh, as well, what did you think of uh, Italy's entry last night? Listen, I'm always quite sceptical and a bit snobbish about the Italian entries because I have to say I do agree with Juliet. Um, before the night of Eurovision, I'm always a bit like, oh, we don't have a chance. Why do we always send ballads? And then when we start getting points, I get quite excited. So um, I'm really surprised that we we actually ended up fourth, which is a really respectable result. And I did not expect at all. I thought we would be on the kind of other half of the scoreboard. Um, I think that's the product of the fact that the the act that we sent to Eurovision is elected via Sanremo, which is the nation's respectable kind of music festival. But that's also quite traditional in many res- in many respects. And so the songs that work for that festival are genuinely and generally the slow ballads with very you know meaningful words. I mean, the lyrics of last night's songs are really really beautiful. Obviously, they don't translate so much to the Eurovision audience, um, but they work back home, which is why they win the home kind of festival, the, the kind of feeding ground for Eurovision. And then sometimes they don't deliver quite as much. But I think ever since Moniskin did so well at Eurovision, people just have a bit of a renewed interest in the Italian entries, maybe. And so there's already a bit of a more of a positive predisposition towards them, which I think helped Marco Mengoni last night, because I think on his own, maybe the song wouldn't have done quite so well. Of course, a, a glittery tank top uh, helped him along <laughs> yeah, the way. Yeah, it helps. Uh, as, as well, Fernando, just before we go, uh, are, are you a, a betting man this morning? Uh, and is there any discussion? Maybe you've sort of heard it on the street already. Of course, Eurovision will go to Sweden uh, next year. SVT will be the host broadcaster. Uh, Malmo last time, uh, does it have to go to Gothenburg or because it's so important? Uh, it's 50 years, of course, since ABBA won. Do you think it's uh, it'll, it'll swing up to Stockholm because they're going to want to put all of their guns behind this? That's a difficult one, Tyler, because Sweden hosted, as you said, recently Malmo and also in Stockholm in 2016. So it could be to Gothenburg. And it's interesting that the winner, Lorraine, was asked in the press conference last night saying, well, which city do you want it to go? And she's like, it has to be Stockholm. And can I be honest, I'm kind of hoping it's Stockholm as well, because I remember that was potentially one of my best Eurovisions as well, because, I mean, you're discussing there in the panel, the Swedes, they love Eurovision. So when you're in the country, it's not just kind of a niche for them, you know, literally everyone loves Eurovision and they know that and and they have the songs and 
and and they have the clubs there. So I always have a good time in Sweden around Eurovision time. And finally, just uh, we're being warmed up for uh, this ABBA reunion because if there could ever be an ABBA, reu- ABBA reunion 50 years after in Stockholm, uh, of, of course, we had, uh, you know, <laughs> one of, uh, we had one of the ABBA members, of course, giving us uh, some encouraging uh, words last night uh, in terms of the importance of it. Uh, do you think there's going to be, they'll have to sort of get, uh, of course, the Swedish king and queen involved to, to lean on them to maybe uh, make an appearance next year? Well, you know what? I think they will because, uh, Tyler, Eurovision, the ratings keep on growing. I mean, I think such a great opportunity for ABBA. And, and as you rightly said, if there was a moment, it is now. Come on, 50 years of Waterloo. There will be such a special moment as well. Fernando Gustavo up in uh, Liverpool and also our Chiara Romella uh, joining us in London. A little bit late for the news headlines. 10.32 here in Zurich, 9.32 back in London. But Emma Nelson is there with the headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Turks vote today in elections that could unseat President Recep Tayyip Erdogan after 20 years in power. His opponent, Kemal Kilic Darolu, who heads an alliance of six opposition parties, is vowing to bring democracy and freedom to the country. Polls have also opened in Thailand with around 52 million people electing members of a new 500-seat House of Representatives. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has arrived in Germany. Uh, Berlin has just pledged to send a new weapons package to Ukraine worth 2.7 billion euros. And Sweden's Svenska Dagbladet is reporting that Finland's Eurovision runner-up, Carrier, is a bad loser. The paper is reporting that the Norwegian supporter organisation, Eurovision Norway, believes the system of jury votes is unfair and needs to change. And if it had only been the people who'd been allowed to decide, the final result in Eurovision would have looked rather different. Sweden's Lorin beat Finland on a jury vote, with a popular vote going to the Finns. Those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Switzerland. Emma, thanks very much for that. I mean, you've really like set poor Emily up uh, here around around the table. Of course, you know he's he's in the business uh, of peace moderation, etc. But you know this, uh, yeah. How how do you feel about uh, what people are already saying that that? That, I mean, maybe, listen, maybe he had a couple of beers. Maybe he was, by 4 a.m., he was yeah. a bad loser. And, you know, and, uh, I don't know, maybe sh- should Svenska Dagbladet as a newspaper, you know, be winding people up at this time of the morning? <laughs> no. So he did he- say himself right after, like, he's a sore loser in general. He doesn't know how to lose well. Uh, he went in to win, but he did right away post a picture with Lauren Aperny. They became buddy-buddy. Uh, they supported each other. Both publicly said that their favorite was the other artist. Um, and, and he did tweet a picture of him and Lauren saying, she's the queen. Um, and, and, and so again, she, he's done his due diligence. Uh, but surely we can get some good drama out of this. Yeah, I, I think, Emma, this story, this, this story will run and run, won't it? Oh, Emma, I think we've, we've, lo- we've lost Emma or... <laughs> Or she's she, she's just she's 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 finished she's finished with finished with fi- the fins finished with the fins maybe uh, th- this morning as well. Sorry, you're going to say Emma, no. I was sorry. just I mean I was reading some of the comments on social media which you should never do if you want to just have a healthy conversation. But there were a lot of this like not my hashtag not my winner type of comments from a lot of non fins. Interestingly, I think that's unhealthy. Uh, but there is a genuine conversation to be had about the role of the jury votes, whether it should be 25 percent rather than 50 percent. Uh, it's again a relatively new thing. It hasn't 
hasn't been around for that long. Um, so I think that's something maybe inspired by Garia that will be picked up again. Maybe. Uh, Emma, just uh, quickly, I, I believe I believe you're back. I thought you fell off your chair or something. Um, but uh, just uh, listening uh, to, to what was what was said there, do you think we should leave our listeners in suspense? Because obviously we have people from all over the world, uh, as we know, uh, a lot of U.S. listeners on this program. They might have been able to tune in uh, you know, very, very uh, early in the evening, uh, their time, depending on what coast they were on. Uh, and of course, watch this uh, on, on any number of, of different services. But of course, a lot of people do not know these songs uh, anyway. Should we should we play the three winning songs now or should we save it to the end of the program? Oh, it's entirely up to you, Tyler. I just, I, I'm, well, I don't know. Let's have, um, let's have a little bit of, of Finland because I think we need to sort of keep Emily happily, happy. Uh, okay, and sort of like so. rub, rub his tummy a little bit and say, this is, this is what you could have won, Emily. But I'm, I mean, it, the uh, Helsinki Sanomat's kicking off as well. I mean, oh, what we, they, what's the Helsinki, what's say, the their top line is saying? the rapper lost with the experts' votes. Should the jury's criteria be changed? This researcher oh, wonders. Go. So it's, Change I mean, I can see we've got. Sorry, that's a that's an automatic translation. Apologies, Emily. I'm sure you could do a slightly better job. Um, it's just one of those things that Emily, we might need you for this. <laughs> this this might become a thing that you might suddenly need to incorporate not just into your university work, but into your real life work. That you thought you were dealing with conflict resolution um, in in various areas. We 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 might need you for this. Well, election modalities are a huge thing in peace processes and <laughs> peace and conflict. So why not in Eurovisions as well? I love and, the way you've made and, that so academic. Right, right. Also, and the good thing is, is it's, so, it's so close as well because you can just jump on the train because the European Broadcasting Union is down down the tracks in Geneva. So exactly. it's also, you can have a little conversation. But I do need to read, read this article from Helsing Sunwood later today because apparently there's a um, researcher that they quote in this. Uh, and a, But I need to find out who he was and who has a degree in Eurovision history. <laughs> okay, you want to so apply stay, for the stay, stay tuned, listeners. Emma, should we have a little listen to Cha Cha Cha? Yes, please. I can't wait. I do love it so much. Listen, I mean, crowd pleaser. I mean, you can see why this won won the popular vote. Uh, I, I think Italy's had a very hard time, but we'll we'll leave. Maybe maybe we should end the program uh, with that as well. But before that, uh, we have to uh, head off because, it's, as we said, it's not just been polling uh, last night around the world. Uh, of course, uh, for Eurovision, or at least particularly in Europe, uh, but also both uh, the Thais uh, and the Turks are heading uh, to the polls today. But uh, let's uh, head to Chiang Mai at the moment. Our correspondent in. Thailand, Gwen Robinson uh, is there. She's about to get on a plane. Gwen, I believe you're heading south, but you've uh, been vis- visiting some polling stations um, in uh, Bangkok uh, this morning, and oh, sorry, Northern Thailand this morning and this afternoon. Uh, what's the mood uh, in the north of the country? Well, sorry, Carl Taylor. Indeed, I'm in uh, an airport lounge, and so forgive me if you hear some of the background announcements, but so far, so good. Um, yes, I'm a bit pulled out, but... There is definitely, um, you know, even I think old cynics uh, such as myself have been quite surprised at the sheer enthusiasm and uh, massive participation, actually, that we're seeing in this election. That It's really clear by now. It's now, um, what, we're pushing 3.30 in the afternoon now and the polls opened uh, at 8 a.m. They're closing very soon at 5 p.m. And we're expecting well, let's say very unofficial results uh, by late tonight. So it is definitely a, a, an atmosphere that I think uh, a lot of observers didn't expect. 
Gwen, you said that, of course, uh, that there is much excitement and there's been an incredible buildup to this election, uh, of course, for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, some, of course, uh, or many looking for, of course, uh, for the maybe the exit uh, of, of certainly the current uh, ruling military uh, regime at, at the moment. Uh, in terms of t- uh, turnout uh, as well, I mean, we're talking about tens and tens of millions, uh, 50 million ties um, eligible to, to vote. But what does voter turnout look like? Well, that also is, uh, well, I was going to say surprising. It is surprising in the context of previous polls uh, in recent years, but actually given what we just uh, talked about, the build-up, it's about, it looks like over 80%, uh, which is very high for Thailand. And uh, I saw uh, long queues in polling stations this morning and uh, a very small town I was in near the uh, Thai-Myanmar border, actually, Song. Uh, about uh, a third of voters uh, on that list for that polling station had voted by 9.30 in the morning. So that might be, and it's a Sunday morning, so that indicates a a level of uh, excitement. And as you said, we're talking about 52 million people eligible to vote. Uh, Two million voted last weekend in advance votes. So, um, you know, pretty well. We're talking about much more than 80% of 50 million voters today. And, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of suspense. Gwen, and just, uh, of course, it's, it's early days, hard to speculate, but, uh, you know, your, your feeling from being in the south of the country, obviously being in the metropolitan area before in Bangkok, now having been up north, uh, any sense of, of calling this? And I guess second part of this, is this going to be sort of protracted? Will we, will we have a very firm view, uh, at least on this side of the world, uh, late, later this evening, European time, as to, as to which way things go? Or, or is this going to be... Are we looking at counting for a number of days still? Right. Uh, Well, no, absolutely not. I think everyone has high expectations and virtual assurance that the unofficial vote, the tallies, will be through by 11 o'clock. But that's when the fun really starts. I mean, we're going to see... So to to make it clear, there is 60 days to finalise these results. Nothing will be official for another 60 days. And, uh, you know... Everyone knows that Thais love a, a, a good deal and bargaining, and there's going to be a lot of horse trading after this poll between various parties. That has to do with the incredible complexity of the Thai system. I won't go into it at, at great length, but what we've got, though, is uh, a couple of very strong, challenging opposition parties. I think most people who you know, ever been to or even really heard of Thailand have heard of Thaksin Shinawat, the uh, Prime Minister who was ousted in a coup and uh, is in exile, but his daughter is leading Pua Thai, the uh, number one opposition party, which has been polling extremely strongly, way ahead of the ruling party and the old Conservative parties. And the other challenger, which is, I think is really exciting people, is Move Forward, Khao Klai Party, led by a young Harvard graduate, uh, Kunpita, who, uh, who's really seems to have gone out to the crowds and captured not just young people, uh, the youth vote, but it looks like a lot of older people this time feel it's time to give the young a chance. Um, And that compares with these old generals, uh, two of who are now heading uh, the ruling and conservative parties uh, who were part of the coup uh, in 2014. And they're, they're clinging on and out there sort of, you know, turning up with all sorts of antics. The final rallies were hilarious with uh, General Prawit, who, who now leads the ruling Palan Pacharat, 
um, surrounded, flanked by drag queens on stage with garlands and, and Prayut, the Prime Minister, who um, split with Poet, uh, out there sort of trying to be groovy and having sort of very jazzy rallies. So they're trying hard. But uh, it looks like uh, at, at least people strongly expect uh, Poor Thai to be way out in front and then move forward. Whether they would do a deal or not is the very big question. Gwen Robinson, uh, up in Chiang Mai, thank you very much for that. Of course, as you said, it's going to be some 60 days before we know. We'll be checking in on this topic many more times. Also, Gwen Robinson and I have a double act uh, a week uh, from tomorrow uh, at the Foreign Correspondents Club in Bangkok uh, as well. So uh, if anyone is in Bangkok, come and uh, join me and Gwen then. Uh, we're heading over to uh, Istanbul, though, right now to join our correspondent there. Of course, Election Day in Turkey. Hannah Lucinda-Smith uh, is uh, is there for us. Good morning, uh, Hannah. Good morning. So, of course, uh, all, all lies, and it is interesting watching, you know, what network goes to uh, what country first, but uh, all lies on, on Turkey uh, today. Uh, please bring us the latest. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, people are talking about this as the most important election in Turkey's 100-year history. Uh, President Erdogan has, of course, been in power for 20 years. In that time, he has progressively cracked down on Turkey's uh, democratic freedoms, uh, changed its constitution to become an executive president, tried to Islamize the country, expanded mosque building, religious schools. And really, you know, this is... Uh, a normal uh, election in some senses, you know, parliamentary and presidential elections. But in another sense, it is pretty much a referendum on President Erdogan and what kind of future Turkey wants. Does it want to continue with uh, the route that Erdogan has taken it down, you know, more conservative direction, turning Turkey away from its Western allies in many cases? Or does it want to revert uh, to the Turkey as envisioned by Turkey's founder, Kemal Ataturk, 100 years ago, a secular Turkey, a Western-looking Turkey. Really, these are the kind of, um, you know, sort of big existential questions that Turks are voting on today. And if you're looking at the the Turkish press, but also, uh, of course, uh, talking to your uh, your colleagues in journalism uh, as well, we were chatting to Gwen a bit earlier, that, yeah, this is, uh, we, we could see a lot of bargaining and trading in Thailand. Uh, is, are we set up for the same situation uh, potentially in, in Turkey as well? Are we going to be, by midweek, end of the week, really know where things stand? Yeah, I mean, usually in Turkey, votes are counted extremely quickly. And we usually at least have a provisional result and one side claiming victory on the night of elections. Usually that's sort of like 10, 11 o'clock at night. It's, it's incredibly quick here. Um, but what we have seen in the past in Istanbul, particularly I'm thinking of in, in 2019 in the local elections here, um, when the opposition initially won by a very fine margin, then there was days and weeks of wrangling over the result. And in the end, President Erdogan leaned on the electoral board to cancel that election and it was rerun again. So although votes are are generally counted quickly. Yeah, we, we've increasingly seen kind of uh, contesting of the result. And then the other thing, you know, the presidential election is one part of it. The other part is the parliamentary elections. Now, even though Turkey is is now an executive presidential system and President Erdogan for the past five years has been pretty much ruling by decree, there are still some breaks that Parliament could uh, put on the presidency. And, you know, potentially if the opposition was to win in the presidency, but not managed to take a majority in the parliament, that could possibly open the way for President Erdogan and his party to try and stymie them as they uh, unravel some of the reforms that he has made over the past 20 years. 
what we're going to see in the parliament is smaller parties being kingmakers. It looks at the moment that like neither Erdogan's coalition, the current ruling coalition or the opposition coalition is going to take an outright majority. But then it will be down to who can win the support of the main Kurdish party and also some smaller uh, leftist parties. Now, they are very, very strongly in favour of the opposition. So I think, you know, in the in both the presidency and in the parliamentary elections, Erdogan is really battling for his survival here. And Lucinda Smith in Istanbul, I know you have to go off and uh, see uh, Mr. Erdogan, of course, go and cast his ballot. Uh, I'm sure we'll be checking in with you uh, probably bright and early uh, tomorrow morning, of course, across the week uh, as as well, uh, as we, of course, uh, see what the final tally looks like out of uh, Turkey in that vote. Also, just before that, our Gwen Robinson was joining us uh, from Chiang Mai, and we will be having more from her as well. Also, our James Chambers, our bureau chief in Bangkok. We're going to go away for a short, short break. When we come back, though, uh, talking a little bit more, of course, uh, about Eurovision, we're going to play those other three songs that might have been left out. Also, we're going to be talking about um, uh, Blaulichtag uh, as well. Uh, Juliet uh, was, of course, out of the front lines, but we'll leave you in suspense for the moment. Uh, Monocle on Sunday's back after this. Ever since the first issue of Monocle magazine hit newsstands in 2007, we've been photographing the world, capturing stories on film, on the ground, and in the moment. The Monocle book of photography, reportage from places less explored, celebrates this rich visual storytelling, with dispatches from the banks of the Rio Grande, Syria's Aleppo before the war, a spectacular Swiss wine festival, and a Greek naval academy. This powerful celebration of photojournalism also includes interviews with Monocle's favorite photographers. I see photography as a medium to tell stories, and I've always been fascinated with human stories and places of conflict are where these stories are extremely poignant, compelling, and powerful. Head to monocle.com and order your copy now and get a fresh focus on the world. Just uh, gone 10.49 here in Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Berlay. Also, Juliet Linnis here, Emily Isahau as well. Uh, we'll have a little final, uh, of course, uh, roundup on Eurovision in a few minutes. But also, there was a very important event in Switzerland. It wasn't televised globally, uh, but it was in our uh, local village of Kuznach, just down the lake. It was Blaulichtag yesterday. Juliet, you didn't even know about it. And just for our listeners, so Blaulicht, blue light, the blue light day, as in flashing blue lights. Uh, and this is a day where... And people can go out and, and uh, visit all of the, the people from the law enforcement agencies and, of course, uh, the, the emergency services as well. And what a show they put on yesterday, because I told you about it at 4.15 and ended at 5 o'clock. And by 4.22, I was, it was down amazing. Julia, she, already, I was on the, she, she had a yeah. helmet on, she yeah. had uh, oxygen tank, she had a mask on. Yeah, I sent you pictures, right. didn't I? It was amazing. I had to go into a smoke-filled room and see if I could find my way out. Impossible. Yeah. While breathing with this massively, it seemed like a medieval sort of thing. You remember? Tintin when he yeah. would go underwater with this huge globe thing on his head. I felt like that and when he clipped it on my face, like half of my cheek got clipped into it. But anyway, <laughs> it was fascinating. I think I was more fascinated than our 11-year-old son was. He was a bit less impressed, although he did like going into the smoke-filled room, which was not allowed for people under 16. Right. Did he get... Anyway, but 
Bueno, es que Did what, he get any free bratwursts? No. No. What, one of my favorite uh, displays that they had, though, was uh, they had a, they were well, not simulated. Well, yeah, they did simulate, but it was with real fire and it was a stovetop fire. And of course, uh, I know that, I mean, well, you don't cook a lot. That doesn't happen at but my house. But your partner cooks a lot um, as, as well. <laughs> we Juliet's in charge of the bar. But <laughs> in uh, the drinks, anyway, they, but no, yeah, so they were, pour, they were pouring hot oil on top of a stove and then, you went and then they had blankets. some, yeah, with your blankets. So did, you did your son, did Jamie no, they get had involved? It was so late. You only told me they about ran out it of oil so late, by yeah. Then, didn't they? They ran out of oil. Uh, I think we tried to get onto the helicopter, but that didn't work out either. But okay. there's another one coming up in a two weeks' time in the nearby village, which is literally five minutes from home. So, so we'll totally be there. But they don't have we'll any. Part of this as well was also mm. to show off the new fire station. So our village True. has built a new fire True. station. 12 million bucks? 12 million francs, yeah. indeed. Very nice. Looks quite Swedish, actually. It does. I think Lorene would maybe like to perform there. It's, I think it's, so. It's, it's they might try a, to... It's, it's sort of... It's, I mean, it's sort of... In, <laughs> go down the lake, have a look. It's sort of in sort of Swedish country house red. Uh, okay. Sort of that terracotta sort of classic. Mm. You know, I mean, you, of course, you get it on the western coast of, of Finland, Finland a little bit uh, as well. So it has that kind of feeling. But... So I also felt that they really sort of went above and beyond to say, look at, okay, we, we know, did spend a we lot. Spent twelve million, money. and by the way, a little extra on this the sausages today. <laughs> True, and they were trying to recruit me because the fire department are all volunteers. Yeah, they are. So they were kind of saying to me, "Well, why aren't you on our list of volunteers?" And you're so close to the station as well. <laughs> closer <Which> than is, <laughs> you. <laughs> well, you're even closer. Yeah, but I'm not in town as much as you. Yeah, clearly. Anyway, but well, maybe one of the masks you could have used for Eurovision performance in the future was it yesterday Iceland when they gave oh, they the, did, presented the points. Yes. He had a funny mask, yes. and everyone. Was just waiting and waiting for it. So and they gave their deux point to uh, to Australia, didn't they? I think so, exactly. Which uh, felt very, very <laughs> European. Felt, felt very Iceland to me as well. I need to bring Emma in uh, as well on this because Emma, you heard the date uh, that there it's coming up in Zolikon. Third uh, of June. Third of June. Uh, Emma, do you think this is something that your son would like to indulge in? And do they do they have these blue light days uh, as well? Because there's this whole other side of the recruiting thing to it, which is the 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 Fau K, which is the the VK, the Ferker Cadetin. So this is quite amazing. <laughs> so you can get a full orange you know, jacket, top, epaulets. There's a hat that goes with it. Good boots, and they they recruit them from 12 years old. And this is these are traffic cadets, uh, and and you you do see them, you know, all, all over the place. And but sometimes you like there's a 12 year old who's like also telling you like you can't park there. Like what? Anyway, um, <laughs> could they have, could this be of appeal? And I know they've been talking a lot in the UK about you know the need to of course. Yeah, you know, look at how do you build up apprentice programs and, and how do you sort of get, create more cohesion in the community? Blue light days, what do you think? Yes, absolutely. Um, especially the orange outfit. I'm absolutely up for that. And I'm sure that my son would absolutely leap at the chance. Um, he has a sort of clean keen sense of what he wants at most times of the day and uh, and how we should all respond to it. So I think he'd probably be quite good as a as a traffic thing. Can I have a go as well? Does it just have, do you just have to be a young cadet or can See, well, anyone pitch in? Yeah, no, I think there's probably, there must be, uh, maybe for, maybe there is a sort of like an under, over 21 band as well. Okay, I, well. I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> maybe she can run the I, I don't think you're a cadet at that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I think that, that, that is part of, what are you going to so say? She speed? could run the speed traps. Yes. Also they, and they, oh, they, they had, they had yes. that on display as well. Yes. There was, they had the speed cameras on display yesterday. And also that we, there's a search and rescue boat, which is called Tina, uh, which as, as, as I was Tina. saying, my, after oh, Tina Turner, because Tina Turner is, is of course a local resident and taxpayer and they as a local legend has it that uh, that Tina paid for the search and rescue boat Tyler, uh, can I, well. may I just ask yes. so this is a voluntary thing the forever is, is a voluntary thing so does this mean that if your kitchen goes up there is a distinct possibility that either you or Tina Turner could turn up in full kit and a, gun, and a smoke mask 
Yeah, it could be. I'm not sure if Tina is is part of uh, the, the firefighting forces of, of Kuznok, but Juliet could. I and could I, if I, yeah. I, I bet, Juliet, they're going to come knocking on your door. No, he, he lives up the road. He even ah, asked see, me where to And he said, I'm a neighbor of yours. Okay. So right. And, and do you have, have to do drills to ready yourself? Do you have to do drills? Yeah, to ready yourself just in For case. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Breathing um, in smoky rooms. And there's also that lovely thing that I know that in quite a lot of Austrian vi- villages, the Feuerwehr have a have a much more comprehensive job. I mean, you're talking about the civic duty for traffic, etc. But when they have, let's say, a big street light to change, they go and take um, the, the, you know, the, the extendable ladder and then they, they all go and change the street lights or they, they sort of work at directing traffic and stuff. Is this is this happening in Kusnacht as well or would you just be obliged no, to do I the dangerous stuff? specifically. I did say, I, how many big fires do you seriously have every year? He said, admittedly, it's mainly people who get stuck right. in elevators, which is what the Vatican firefighters also told me uh-huh. when I interviewed them. Those rickety old it's all elevators about the rickety at the Vatican. No, but, but it, it, they, they, it was really, it was, it was a show of force. They also brought in the cantonal police uh, with their, their helicopter there was there was a whole like did you go to see the dogs the whole dog display the canine canine commandos yeah all of the drugs in kuznacht as well (laughs) it's a a good job there's not much crime or disaster in kuznacht because had there been they would have been all a bit busy trying to get there well, exactly. Every, <laughs> Nothing could have happened. Was rather it was all shut down. I actually thought the most impressive display there was the with the civil defense, with yeah, with all of those 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 big tubs. Uh, I don't know of, with, of water and everything, so they can. I don't know if there's some kind of catastrophe. Dunk tanks. They, they weren't dunk tanks, but <laughs> I anyway. didn't see that. I missed that. But coming back to the speed trap, I do yes. like the idea of maybe having sponsored speed traps because you know how you get a speed Absolutely. trap and you're like rats. I just got caught. But imagine if the money went to UNICEF or Save the Children, you'd be like, wow. Oh, so charities should time. be able to rent a speed trap for like a month or a week, I like and it. all the income instead of going to the state police goes to them. I want to do sponsored parts of the road network in Zurich, where we can also get rid of the, the graffiti. You no, know, the graffiti as well. That's the I mean, that's the big problem here. It's, it's art. It's, yeah, it's if that's the only pro- if that's the only problem you've got in Kusnach, then you're a lucky yeah. fellow. Right, Emma. <laughs> okay, listen. Before we go, we we promised a couple of more songs. Okay, we we've already had our our, our Finland moment. Um, okay, Emma, what's I don't know what's lined up, but you're, you're closer to things. Can we should we listen to Israel next, or should we listen to uh, to Marco Mengoni? Got totally trashed on the program by some of his country his country women a little bit earlier or and we'll, we'll let's we'll finish with sweden at the end uh, mm. where, where should we go first tel aviv or are we off to rome oh let's head to rome because uh, i want the glittery top back okay here we go Listen, you know what you're going to get, but I think it's good. I think, you know, great brands are built out of a little bit of, you know, predictability, a bit of dependability. Listen, well, it you're right into you. it, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think the third time I heard you. it. yeah. <laughs> no, but it's a good song. It's a solid performance. It clearly went through a rigorous selection process in Italy. So you should be proud. I should be proud. He was not a great showman. Mm. No, he didn't, he didn't give Eurovision, a lot. But right? no. Yeah. And I actually, I think he toned down the screaming for the final. Because uh-huh. in some of the earlier performances, performances I had seen for the very final because he was like shouting through it and now he did a little bit of screaming only and I think that really kind of added, added like an oomph. Gravitas. Yeah, exactly. Gave him gravitas. Okay, let's uh, let's just maybe uh, before we go, last minute uh, let's just uh, listen to, this is the winner uh, of the 2023 Eurovision of course uh, Eurovision heading to Sweden next year. This is Loreen.
that going to be blasting in your house, Emma? Uh, it's been in my head all night, I must yeah. confess. It's, I can't get rid of it. Um, I could get rid of the, the English vote entry quite quickly, but um, no, I just wish she'd cheer up. I know she. Yeah, she, <laughs> she maybe maybe she's, she's she's maybe she's having a better Sunday. I, I don't know what Svenska Dogblad is saying. No, and I think she was being a good sport about it because she was obviously the favorite. It was clear she was going to win, and I would say in a deserved way. Um, but she didn't want to kind of come across as kind of expecting to win, so she had to be calm and look surprised. I think you're and, overthinking it, Emily. Yeah, Emily, we'd have to leave it there, Juliet. Very <laughs> nice to see you as well. Hopefully, song. there's no fires for you today. Thanks to everyone also handled this in the Smith, Fernando Gastropacheco, Chiara Ramella as well, also Andrew Tuck, uh, and of. Of course, uh, Tamsin Howard, who's looking after things. I'm Tyler Brule. Have a very good week. Goodbye.